Thanks, Ian. Thanks very much indeed. Well, good morning. You made it through the snow. That's good. Um, my name's Rob. I'm, uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm Associate Pastor here at TWCF, and uh, it's good to see you. Uh, if, you're first, if it's your first time here, then welcome. Uh, we look forward to getting to know you more over the uh, coming weeks and months. Um, life can be pretty pressurizing. Uh, at, at times, and I don't know about you, but it never seems to, to come in little bits of pressure. Uh, it, it either seems to be all okay, or it all seems to uh, come at once. And uh, in 2013, I moved jobs from a, from a fairly comfortable role in a family-run business to uh, commuting up to London, and uh, it was a real shock to the system. Uh, the pace of the new role was like nothing I'd ever experienced before. And uh, a day or two into the role, I was told that a couple of weeks later, um, I was needed to be part of a team of five that would be um, pitching the business to investors for uh, uh, around 20 million quid. And uh, it was pretty much make or break for the business. And um, so uh, I, I, on top of that, I, I, I had um, huge budgets that I, that I needed to get control of pretty quickly. There was a a whole new team, and um, uh, really the pressures were mounting on me. And on day three, I remember being physically sick before I left for the office and uh, wondering what on earth I'd done stepping out of my safety zone. And uh, in the same week as, as all that was happening, God made it really clear to Joe and I, my wife, um, that we were to leave our church and to, to move on to another church called TWCF. And uh, we felt um, he was ma making it abundantly clear. And uh, so, so we did it immediately. And, and God had confirmed this to us, but wow, was it a hard time. Um, we were hurting and we loved our last church so much and the people in it and the pastor was a good friend of mine. Um, and it had been a place of sanctuary and blessing for us for the last nine years. Uh, and that it was the church we had all of our friendship groups in, the only church our children had known. Uh, and loved, and all their friends were there. And it just broke our hearts that we were being called to move. And, and because of personal connections at the church, um, other people were hurting too because of that. Uh, we, we, um, and the friends that we, we dearly loved didn't really understand, and the pastor who I dearly loved didn't understand. And it was messy, but, but God had spoken. So that, that was happening at the same week as on top of moving job, and it was an intense week, and the, the pressures were immense, mind-boggling, to be honest. We, we felt our, our whole world was upside down, and uh, we didn't know which way to turn. If that wasn't enough, on the Thursday of the same week, or around midday, I got a call at work from my stepdad with some, some terrible news. And one, one of my closest relatives and her husband had, had split up. And their marriage was in seemingly um, sort of unrare, unrepairable tatters. And the, their family, the wider family, was being ripped apart. And, and the news left people completely heartbroken and reeling and angry and confused and just not knowing what to think. And Joe and I just wept and wept because we cared for them so much and we, we cared for their two lovely girls uh, and, and we cared for their marriage. And it, it was a mess beyond belief. And despite how we were ourselves, we invested our time in, in supporting others in the family and counselling them, trying to answer the unanswerable questions, but pleading for reconciliation between the couple and weeping and praying for forgiveness to prevail. So by Sunday that week, I was totally messed up. 
to be honest. So, so much. Um, we were coming to TWCF for the first time since leaving the last church, and uh, I was totally broken. Uh, as I came in, I'd made up my mind that we were new and we, we wouldn't share anything. Um, my pride was such that I didn't want to arrive broken, hurting, and, and needy. Um, but I was so broken, in fact, that for the first time in years, I went forward and asked for prayer. And um, I was just at a complete, a point of complete and utter brokenness. Um, life had got too much, and I was met at the front with two lovely people who just prayed and ministered to me, despite not knowing what was going on, really. And um, life can take so many twists and turns, and it's not unusual to find ourselves in positions that are seemingly impossible. That sort of doomed if I do, doomed if I don't uh, feeling, and... Um, uh, and it's, it's not unusual to be walking through life just being hit by one thing and another, battered in the storms, really, and, and not knowing where to turn. Another quick story. I, I remember uh, when Joe and I first got married, I, I took Joe to India on honeymoon, and um, we'd planned to do six months travelling together. And uh, I, I'd sold India as a really great destination, and Joe and I were both excited to be going together. And one of, the, one of the interesting things about marriage, um, that it was my first opportunity of living close to someone in relationship. And weirdly, one of the first things I learned was there were some things that I found exciting that they really saw as one of the worst possible things that could happen. And uh, I, I, you know, we shared other great experiences, but, but um, it, it was that dynamic between the two of us of learning which was what was good and what was stressful. Um, for example, we went to the um, Taj Mahal while we were there and we stayed in a rooftop room uh, on an old colonial fortress just a few streets away from the Taj. And, um, it, was, it had a narrow, windy staircase, a stone staircase going up in this old stone building. And it was about four or five floors up. Um, and when he got up there, it was beautiful. And, uh, but unfortunately, Joe got food poisoning. And uh, on, on, after a night of being really ill, um, she, she was unable to even consume water um, and keep that down. So I, I decided at that point I didn't want to be a widower quite so early in my marriage. Um, and uh, so, so I decided that, that I needed to, to speak to the hotel and call an ambulance. And Joe was out for the count at this stage, unab unable to talk or walk or eat um, or drink. Uh, she was delirious. The, the temperature of the day was heating up. And uh, I, I knew it was going to start to become life-threatening. So I ran down, got the hotel to call the ambulance, raced back up the stairs to get Joe um, down to the ambulance, and she, every minute was counting. And, um, so I had to be fairly quick with her, but she was just a floppy corpse at that time, really. Um, so all I could do was put her over my shoulders in, in a fireman's lift and, and sort of run down these narrow stone stairs, you know, four or five floors down to the ambulance, which was really just a van. Um, and, uh, and it was a time of immense emotional pressure. My new wife, really ill and narrow stairs, and I was carrying someone precious, you know, literally caught between a rock and a hard place. Thankfully, with Joe's head and feet to stop me scraping myself on the walls. Um, <laughs> but I was able to, to, to put, her back, uh, put her in this van somewhere in India to go off to a hospital somewhere I didn't know anything about uh, to an unknown doctor to hopefully see Joe recover from this... Um, uh, you know, this food poisoning on this idyllic honeymoon that I'd sold her. Um, and around a week later, she recovered, and bless her, she couldn't face the next exciting part of our trip, which was a 48-hour train journey, eating curry for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and uh, sharing a carriage with, with uh, 100 other people who all wanted to be really friendly and practice their English on us and try and share the bunk beds we'd hired. Um, 
So I booked a flight and we, we went down to Goa and, and rented a luxury flat down there um, where we enjoyed six weeks of relaxing and recuperating. And the day we were about to leave Goa um, and start travelling back to the airport, I found Joe really upset to leave. I have to confess I was secretly pleased. Um, I remember feeling really chuffed that uh, finally, inside, despite the circumstances, um, I must have delivered an amazing honeymoon uh, in the end because she was upset to be going. And I felt like a real man, finally, and a great husband. Um, so looking forward to hear, hearing confirmation on um, how great I was and what an amazing husband I was uh, for giving her the best honeymoon ever. I, I asked in a sort of slightly sneaky roundabout way why she was crying and then stood back to sort of bask in the answer. And, um, well, it was then I learned that the apartment owners had a dog with puppies and uh, she couldn't bear to leave them. <laughs> so, <laughs> well... Why do I tell you all this? Well, look, people may be in the same place at the same time, but experience different things. We're all different. And we don't know what's going on in other people's lives and in their heads and hearts. And, and, and we're more than likely unaware of how people are feeling and how their walk through life is, um, how they're responding to problems and issues. And what looks okay from the outside to us may just hide hidden stresses, hidden anxieties, and a, a life of insecurity and worry. So I believe that the verses we're about to look through will, will, will show us that we don't need to carry every stress we carry on our shoulders. They're, they're important because sometimes we're in a position where um, we, we can't directly control our circumstances, but we can control who we are in the circumstances, which is great in theory, but not so easy in practice. I know that. Um, we, we've all been through situations. Some of us are in circumstances that are potentially potentially uh, intensely stressful. And there's stuff going on in life that's just killing us inside while the outside looks pretty much okay. You know, there's people walking around day in, day out with a game face on that are breaking inside. And that matters. Uh, because I believe we're called to be a people who care, who love each other and who help and encourage each other. And as you sit here now, there are most likely people around that are under unbearable pressure in life and they're just trying not to show it. So I'd like to spend a little time uh, looking in the Bible, in the book of 1 Samuel. Um, and this is part of our series on David. Uh, and I'd like to look specifically in, at some sections across two chapters, chapters 21 and 23, uh, another part of David's life, and see how David reacted to stress, because I believe there are lessons we can learn and apply that might help some of us. Um, but before we look at them, the story so far is this, that um, Saul, uh, Samuel was uh, amazingly used by God to appoint two kings in Israel. Firstly Saul, and then later during Saul's reign, David. And uh, the narrative in the book of 1 Samuel takes us through two opposing armies, the Philistine army and the army of God, um, uh, who are fighting for Israel. And interwoven through the book is also the relationship between um, Saul and David, and then uh, David and God. And the story so far is that David, while he was uh, still a shepherd boy, um, around 15 years old, defeats Goliath, a, a nine-foot mad giant, and showing the world that there, there is a God in Israel. But then after that, King Saul despises David, and David then marries King Saul's daughter, and the relationship between David and Saul takes a turn for the worse when Saul tries to use his own daughter to stitch him up and lure him into danger. And then David becomes amazing friends with Saul's son, Jonathan, and and then Saul puts out a kill order on David's life, and David goes on the run. And it's at that point, after the going on the run, that we're going to join the story. Um, and uh, I'll put the scriptures on the screen to help. There's quite a lot, 
um, and I'm, I'm just taking sections through um, three chapters, um, 21 and 23. And um, so I, I, I'll read them as we go. David went to Ahimelech the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, Why are you alone? Why is no one with you? And David answered Ahimelech the priest, The king sent me on a mission and said to me, No one is to know anything about the mission I'm sending you on. And then we go forward a few verses the, uh, where David has asked the priest for a sword. And the priest replied, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, uh, is here. It's wrapped in, in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There's no sword here but that one. And David said, There's nothing like it. Give it to me. And that day David fled from Saul and went to Ashish, king of Gath. But the servants of Ashish said to him, isn't this David, the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? That, that Saul has slain his thousands and David's his tens of thousands? David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Ashish, king of Gath. So he feigned insanity in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted um, like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. And then we're going to skip over to 1 Samuel 23. When David was told, look, the Philistines are fighting against Caelor and are are looting the threshing floors, he inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go and attack these Philistines? The Lord answered him, go, attack the Philistines and save Caelor. But um, David's men um, said to him, here in Judah we're afraid. How much more than if we go to Caelor against the Philistine forces? Once again, David inquired of the Lord and the Lord answered him, go down to Caelor, for I'm going to give the Philistines into your hand. So David and his men went to Cala, fought the Philistines and carried off their livestock. He inflicted heavy losses on the Philistines and saved the people of Cala. Now Abiathar, son of Amalek, had uh, brought the ephod down with him when he had fled uh, to David at Cala. When David learned that Saul was uh, plotting against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod. And David said, Lord God of Israel, your servant has heard definitely that Saul plans to come to Cala and destroy the town on account of me. Will the citizens of Caleb surrender me to him? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? Lord God of Israel, tell your servant. And the Lord said he will. Again, David asked, will the citizens of Caleb surrender me and my men to Saul? And the Lord said they will. So David and his men, about 600 in number, left Caleb and kept moving from place to place. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Caleb, he did not go there. David stayed in the wilderness strongholds and in the hills of the desert of Ziph. Day after day, Saul searched for him, but God did not give David into his hands. While David was at Haresh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life and that Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Haresh and helped him to find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You shall be king over Israel and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. The two of them then made a covenant before the Lord. And uh, then Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horesh. As we've tracked and shared the story of David over the last few weeks, I have to confess that I've grown a fresh fondness uh, to David, to his story on how he works through things and um, how despite setbacks and sins and mistakes and challenges, he seems to be able to navigate through life continually resetting his heart towards God. And it reminds me of the struggles of how, and how we deal with circumstances in different ways. 
Uh, it's David's human imperfections and, and journey through the story that I want to pick up on today. Because I think we've got a few, th- a few points that will help us understand a little bit more. And the first one is this. Under pressure, David reverts to his own strength, not God's. You see, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the story of David and Goliath and how David had seen the injustice of Goliath and the Philistine army mocking the armies of God. And David had declared to Goliath at the time, you come against me with sword and javelin and spear, but I come against you in the name of the living God. David was saying, your weapons are nothing against the name, uh, the name of God. God will command the victory. And remember, as we join the story today, um, uh, David is under extreme pressure. His life's under threat because Saul and Saul's army uh, is after him. And we read that David asks the priest for a sword. And the priest offers him Goliath's sword. And David says, there's none like it. Give it to me. So when David's facing Goliath, David declares God's power against Goliath's sword. Now he's under pressure. He asks for and takes Goliath's sword. And David's heart has switched from a declaration of God's power and purposes to a reliance on his own strength and on things around him that represent strength to others. It's a long way from from previously David declaring that God commands the victory. And with the benefit of hindsight, we can see that David acting in in the moment in very real uh, circumstances was genuinely scared and uh, he felt his life was in danger. But pardon me, he wants to shout out, David, come on. Remember the promises. Remember the anointing. You're going to be king. God's not going to let you die yet. And he needed, he needed to hear something of that, but there's no one around to remind him. And he just spirals deeper and deeper into a, a, a heady panic. Until we get this. Under pressure, David goes on the run and panics even more. And he was on the run and fearing for his life. And it seems that he's started to go down of a, a path of self-reliance himself and um, instinctive responses that are leading David to panic and fear more and more. So interspersed in, in, in the narrative, we read about David panicking. and uh, we, we see sentences like, that day David fled from Saul and went to Ashish, king of Gath. And then later on, um, it says, David took these words to heart and was afraid. There's lots of um, interjections within the narrative to say he was scared, he was afraid. Um, So much he feigned insanity, he he faked being mad and started dribbling. Um, And uh, so so panicking and on the run, desperate, not turning to God, but trying to sort everything out himself. David was going downhill rapidly. It's a sign, sad signs of a desperate man. And, uh, and this is David, who previously relied on his virtually indestructible status of being anointed and appointed for God's purposes, under pressure and forgetting his identity. And his personality changes from a strong young man trusting in God to a scared man with a fugitive mentality because David's forgotten God's plan and God's purposes. So instead he looks to the circumstances and focuses in on it, escaping and running away from those who threaten him. David's attitude, his focuses, his responses to circumstances and his behaviour in the circumstances were frustratingly ungodly. This shepherd to be king who God has anointed had stopped living the anointed life. He'd forgotten that he's got the opportunity to trust in God's promises. Then later on in the chapter, just after Saul had slaughtered uh, the priest for helping David and um, giving him Goliath's sword, there's a line that changes everything. And it's this, 
chapter 23, verse 6, Abiathar, son of Amalek, had brought the ephod down with him. And as the ephod arrives in the story, we see this. Finally, David turns back to God. Abiathar, the son of the priest that Saul slaughtered, uh, had escaped and he took the ephod to David. And um, The ephod was seen as a, a sort of a divinely ordained means of communicating with God. It was, a, it was a breastplate with two stones in called the Urim and the Thurim, which were used to uh, indicate God's divine will, depending on how, how these two stones lit up. And um, David's outlook changed when the ephod arrived. It was like the switching point uh, in this part of the story, and suddenly God's back in the picture. And, and, and David turns from panic and stress to confidence in God. He switched from the sort of back foot to the front foot. And uh, the, the ability for David to communicate with God changed so much about his behavior. <coughs> so David switches from being afraid and running away to telling others not to be afraid and attacking. The whole pace and tone of the account switches back to conversing with God, asking, seeking, and then acting on what God says. And it's this switch in attitude, this confidence in God that we see in the final part of these chapters uh, that I find so encouraging. Um, um, while it's not in 1 Samuel, we do have a great insight into what David was thinking at the time as he wrote a psalm about what was going on at the time. And it's Psalm 56, and it starts with David pleading for God to be merciful with him and then quickly switch to David reflecting that when he's afraid, he'll put, in, put his trust in God. It goes like this, Psalm 56. I'll read a part of it. Um, be, merciful, be merciful to me, my God, for my enemies are in hot pursuit. All day long they press, their, they press their attack. My adversaries pursue me all day long. In their pride, many are attacking me. And then when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, and I'm not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Can you see the switch? Um, as he goes from scared and afraid, defensive and pleading for mercy, to the, I will put my trust in you. It's a, it's a conscious switch of attention from the danger to the one who rescues from the danger. And it's that turning point again in the story where David turns back to God and gets his focus on God again. So I'd like to spend a little time just looking at what that might mean for us today. Um, we live lives under pressure, and I think there's some key lessons we can learn from David, and uh, on some how to do things and some how not to do things. Um, and uh, that it might help us navigate forward in the, in the coming weeks and months and potentially give us some tools to de-stress some of life. And I, I think there's one main action that, that I want to make sure you leave with today as we, we look at, um, at what we might learn from this part of David's life and this story. And it's, I'll be honest, it's not rocket science. It's fairly simple. And it's this, in all things, turn to God first. Very simple. So let's look at a few things that, would, um, that we, we might be able to learn from, uh, from uh, David's uh, example in the, in the scriptures that we're looking at. And... Uh, so, uh, first, your greatest self-strength might be your greatest spiritual weakness. What do I mean by that? David went from relying on God when fighting Goliath to relying on himself when fighting for his life. Do you remember what David did? One, one, one moment mocking Goliath's sword to the next moment relying on it, saying there's nothing like it. And we may look on and say, wow, David, what's going on with you? Don't you remember? And that would be a good lesson to learn. But however, before we're too quick to judge, I wonder how much we do this ourselves. 
The pressures in life then, in some ways, are very different. Generally, we don't have Philistines chasing us, and um, we don't have a character like Saul wanting us dead um, and, and sending people after us. Um, but we do have other pressures uh, that, in many ways, feel just as pressurizing as the ones that David was experiencing. You see, I wonder if David was thinking at the time that it was the sword that cut off Goliath's head that gave victory and not remembering that it was God that gave the victory pre-Goliath's head coming off. So what would that mean for us? Well, um, we could be under any number of pressures and stresses and knowing this culture, it'd be rare for people not to be tempted to feel some level of stress. Um, So my question is this, what's the first thing we do when we come up against an issue? What if a big bill comes in, for example, uh, that we're not expecting? <clears throat> do you need to pray? Or would you say, well, I don't need to pray. I've got the cash. It's fine. Well, hmm. you don't need to pray because you've got something better. It's, it's, a, f- it's a challenge uh, on how we react to anything that hits us in life. Because actually we may already have the tools in place. Um, but it may still be that we need to pray before we use them anyway or or what if you're in a seemingly impossible circumstances at at home or work do you turn to God first or do you get het up um, and work out how to respond to someone without praying what's your first instinct fight claps in a heap Uh, I've personally experienced both to be honest Um, but if we substitute turning to God with anything else then I'd suggest we've put something before asking God to intervene And this takes us deeper down a path in the wrong direction, further away from God and into developing a pattern of behavior that can lead to an unhealthy lifestyle. When the pressure is on, we need to remember the power of God and not revert to our own strength. It could just be that your strongest intuitive thing to do might be your greatest enemy. Unhealthy steps can lead to an unhealthy lifestyle. And, uh, and, And another challenge I see coming out of David Uh, is this, don't lose integrity of character while under pressure. David was on the run and in his own strength and walking so far in the wrong direction that he started faking madness. Stress can threaten integrity of character, causing us to live fearfully as if God's not in control. I'd say don't be tempted. How do we behave under continual pressure while we're under threat? If something's not going our way, does it change your character? How do we behave when everything seems out of control? And when we're stuck and we can't move out of a situation? Well, if we've developed a discipline of excluding God and relying on ourselves to get us out of a mess, then inevitably it will change our character and responses to situations as we fight to get out of them in whatever way we can. The more desperate we are, the more we fight in our own strength, and that can get ugly. The Bible said David was so afraid he feigned insanity in their presence and acted like a madman and let saliva run down his beard. And I'm not going to work that out, but he was so afraid that he had a meltdown. And uh, David's behavior was not evidencing the anointing he was under. Are we operating under the, the anointing that God has given us? Why are we relying on our personalities and behaviors to carry us through? Are we relying on self-confidence to get us through? David was but it wasn't working. Ultimately, I believe life is structured to point us to God, to point us to a place of recognizing that God is God and we are not, and that we can depend on him far more than we can depend on ourselves or others. And the more we rely on ourselves under pressure, um, 
the, the worse a situation is likely to get and the worse our behaviour under pressure is likely to be. Finally, in this story uh, that we've read, we see David uh, do what he should have done first and that's turn to God first. It seems to be prompted by a reminder to David by the son of the priest turning up with the ephod um, and then a reminder that Jonathan throws in a little later. And David's switching point, point, albeit late in this part of the story, is an encouragement and a steer to us to seek God's presence and God's promises. This week, as I was preparing, um, preparing for today, someone gave me back a book I'd lent them a while back um, about stress. And uh, it seemed like God's timing as I, uh, I opened up the book and read the message that, that was written in the book um, when it was first given to me. And it went like this. 2nd of April 2010. Dear Rob, and a few words of encouragement, and then the words hit me, we know it's tough, but I'm, I hope this book helps. And it was a stark reminder that eight years ago, almost, almost to the week, um, I'd suffered with chest pains and ended up in an ambulance heading out to hospital um, because of the stresses of life. The things I was carrying at the time had just got too much and I was I, to be honest I was close to total burnout and my my body being weaker than my mind had um, just just taken the burden and the toll of everything immensely so I, I'm not showing today just from theory I understand what it's like on the edge of stress both phys- physically and mentally and David's turning point is recorded in 1 Samuel by uh, just uh, uh, mentions during the narrative of, of God uh, uh, of David bringing back bringing God back into what he's, what he's doing. In the Bible, uh, one version calls this the inquiring of God, a sort of, oh, what do you want, Lord? Um, and uh, it's from there we start to see David's character change again, back from fear-filled to fearless, uh, as he sought God's presence. I want to encourage us this morning to seek more of God's presence in our lives. Uh, for when stress and pressure hit us, uh, and when the hard times come, to turn to him first. And Jonathan, towards the end of the chapters, met with David. And the, the story goes like this. Jonathan went to David at Haresh and helped him to find strength in God. Don't be afraid, Jonathan said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You shall be king over Israel and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Jonathan helped David find strength in God and reminded him not to be afraid and reminded him of God's plan for his life. So after the reminder of God's presence uh, with the ephod turning up, we're reminded of God's promises with Jonathan turning up. Uh, And it's God's presence and God's promises that I think carry us through circumstances that are seemingly impossible. These circumstances where we can't see a way out, um, you know, but stuck between a rock and a hard place where, you, you know, you can't go back, you can't go forward, can't turn left or right sort of thing. Um, and um, the, the way back is in that psalm that we looked at earlier where, where David declares, when, uh, when I'm afraid I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust and I'm not afraid. And there are circumstances where you may feel powerless and directionless and hopeless and I believe that in the darkest areas of life when all else has failed that we still have promises to hold on to, a presence to stand with us and a God to praise even in the darkest of times. Because praise in dark times shines like a light 
into our lives. And when we praise God in the hardest of times in our lives, it, it positions him above everything else and invites his presence into everything. When we praise, we're stepping into the presence of God. We're positioning ourselves and our circumstances under God and we're prioritizing who he is above everything else. But did you notice in the psalm that David is praising in advance of the results? He's declaring God as the solution. God whom he can trust, the God who will protect him from all else. But the breakthrough in reality for David hadn't come at that point. But it took a reminder, and it, it took a, a reminder to even just remember that he could talk to God. Um, and it took a reminder that God had anointed him for a purpose from Jonathan, and that he was under God's protection. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you need a reminder that you can talk to God, that no matter how deep you are in circumstances, God still wants you to talk to him. And maybe there are promises you've had spoken over your life, like David, that haven't been realized yet. Remind yourselves of them. Hold on to them. Declare them over your life. Because if they're, if they're from God, then they're your future, not what the circumstances dictate. When the presence and purpose and power of God are in your life, we deal with the stresses and pressures of life with a different perspective, one with our eyes fixed on who God is. So when you start, when there's nowhere else to go, when you're doomed if you do and doomed if you don't, it's time to start bringing God back into the conversation. And we battle through life on life term, life's terms rather than God's terms. And it's not until we invite that conversation with God about our circumstances and trust him and praise him that we see breakthrough. We see the terms and conditions change and can be set free from impossible circumstances. So whether we're deep in circumstances that are breaking us or things are fine at the moment, I believe with the benefit of hindsight we can maybe pass some of the bypass some of the depths that David sank to with four simple encouraging words. Turn to God first. I'll wrap up now. You see, there's, there's one who David points towards prophetically. One who's called the son of David. Like David, a shepherd king. Like David, also born in Bethlehem. Like David, anointed and appointed to lead God's people and anointed and appointed to usher in a kingdom like no other. And his name's Jesus. And it's through Jesus that we find God's presence again. And it's through Jesus that the price is paid for our sins that we might find forgiveness and reconciliation with God. And it's through Jesus that we can stand in God's presence again. And it's Jesus who sends the Holy Spirit to anoint us afresh for his purposes. It's because of Jesus we don't have to walk in our own strength anymore. It's through Jesus we know God is with us. It's Jesus who gives us the strength to praise in the hardest times because he's so worthy. So I just want to end with um, reading out of... Um, Philippians 4. And um, maybe the band could come up. And it's, it's reflecting back on that, that praising God before the breakthrough. Because I believe that's really important for some people today is to praise him before the breakthrough because it transforms everything. 
And it's this, Philippians 4.4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The rejoice. And then tell him your needs. And then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guide your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Amen.